If you're like me, the first thing you do when traveling is check out what's happening with the local food scene, right? And as I've been planning my big book tour and live podcast tapings all around the country, man, I am very excited to eat my way across the nation. There's Atlanta, there's Miami, and so many more. Going to local restaurants gives you a great taste of that place. And if you pay your bill with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum Amex, you get double miles at restaurants. Getting a taste of local food is the best way to get to know the local culture. And if you travel, you know that's how it's done. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. I am extremely excited about what's going on at Whole Foods Market right now. It is the Taste the Mediterranean sales event, a store-wide, flavor-packed journey of regionally-inspired selections. Save on Mediterranean-inspired flavors like Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie, Whole Branzino, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon. Right now, they're on sale at Whole Foods, okay? Wines from the sun-soaked vineyards of Spain, Greece, and Italy start at just $8.99. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna slurp. You're gonna have to Please, be, go be, ahead. Slurp. Be yes. Let's, uh, take your time. I'll slurp too. So we'll slurp together here. That was a very good slurp. I'm a, I'm an audio professional, Nigella. Okay. Okay. <laughs> far away. What are you going to ask me now? This is Nigella Lawson, food TV star and author of eleven best-selling cookbooks. Well, I saw in your uh, in some interview that with you that I read, you said what was the quote? Oh, that you get murderous and suicidal when you don't eat. Mm. Have you had a chance to eat today? Yes, I have. You're, you're very lucky because I didn't <laughs> yesterday. And, uh, yeah, I did. I had a very big, you know, American-style salad. What denotes an American-style salad besides the size? Is it- no, that's the size. <laughs> I did actually have some things removed from it. Really? Yes. What did uh, you have removed? I had um, some onions removed and some tortilla chips removed. Mm. And I think on reflection, I should have had the tomatoes removed. Just because of quantity? Just because of quantity and because they were not ripe. Right. <laughs> that too, yeah. Obviously, I ate it all. But nevertheless, <laughs> but I did, I did have, so I did have a, a big salad and they had lots of avocado in, so I'm very full up. Good, good. I, uh, I did study abroad in London many years ago, and I remember being struck that at the McDonald's there, if you supersize a meal, you get a fries and drink that are the size of the regular meal in America. And that you, is astonishing. Right, and if you super the, when you supersize in America, the size of cup and fry container that you get in America, like they don't even send those containers across the Atlantic. Like, <laughs> I, I wonder if it's changed now. I wonder. And now that we eat as much as you, <laughs> so that's an alarming thought. As is the idea that you came to London and spent your time in McDonald's. <laughs> I was twenty-one years yes, old. Yes, that's okay. You know, I didn't have uh, as refined. Uh, no, you didn't have the budget either. I suspect. That's true. Yeah, I, I remember deep pan pizza. All you can eat pizza night oh, five. Yeah. Depressing. <laughs> Did you read anything good? I, I, it was in London that I learned that frying is an art. I never yeah. thought of that, and I had phenomenal fish and chips, which I know yes. is a bit of a cliche, no, but it's great. Seashells of Listen Grove yes, will forever right. be in my yes. heart. Uh, no, I'm dying to go back because I feel like back then I didn't really like spicy food. Now yeah. I like spicy, and there's so many great different cultural cuisines yes. in London that yes. you know that I didn't know enough to even look for when I lived there the first time. I would like to come back and eat more. I would like to come and eat more here. And just take the time. Take the time. Right, right. Go on an eating tour. You're so frightened of risking a bad meal when you're somewhere for a short time, whereas you can take more risks when you're there in a place for a longer time. That's so true. Is there a recent experience you had with that feeling that you had wasted a meal? Often. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll tell you what I find very difficult going somewhere, just generally going somewhere and not having any choice. It reminds me of being a child. Right. And then I realise maybe that's why I cook such a lot, because no one can impose their will on me. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Over the past 20-plus years, Nigella Lawson has hosted hugely popular food TV shows on the BBC, Food Network, and more. Her cookbooks have sold more than 12 million copies worldwide. She's best known for the books How to Eat, Feast, and the one that really launched her career, How to Be a Domestic Goddess. It's a classic of that genre of books that promise simple recipes as the key to a better life. Her latest is Cook, Eat, Repeat, Ingredients, Recipes, and Stories. And she's on tour in North America talking about it right now. And I really admire her work because, you know, there's a lot of food personalities out there who are like, I'm going to show you how to make this thing and it's going to be so, so easy. And then you watch them make it and you're like, that was not easy. I am gonna, <laughs> I would really struggle to do that. And Nigella actually delivers. She has great recipes that are simple, but that often have one or two ingredients that are just the kinds of things that I would never know to add. And I gotta say, coming into this conversation, I knew that Nigella was smart and funny, but as I learned, she also has an amazing ability to just cut right to the heart of a question and say something really profound in a way that's so plain spoken, you can miss how amazing it is. In fact, I think I got as much from listening back to this conversation as I did having it in real life. So you may want to listen twice so you don't miss anything. Let's pick it up where we left off at the top of the show. Nigella was saying that she doesn't like eating at places with very few choices. But she told me she also doesn't like too many options. I find making decisions incredibly difficult. Why? I don't know, because I suppose you're, you're saying no to a whole range of possibilities. So I have in a restaurant what I call my Stanislavski um, ordering technique. Oh, wow. Wait, this is, that's the acting method. Acting method, method right. Okay. Acti you know, that's method, method acting, acting rather right. than acting method. Uh, right. Method acting when you really had to live something. Right. So I go through the menu and I actually have, and there I am, and I think that's me with, that's me with the pasta with sage and squash. I mean, pasta with sage, because I'm eating pasta stage. So you, you put yourself in the head of that, that character. Do I want, I'm me doing that? No, I don't want to be having that. No, actually, it's not what I want to be eating. <laughs> and I have to go through the various things. And then I'm, I, after, really, it's just everyone is really like yawning. <laughs> can, can you order now? And then I do it, and then, the, so then the waiter goes, and I have to go, come back, come back. Actually, no, I'm going to have the chicken. <laughs> whatever uh, and I really go through things like that and I try and I change my mind and I sometimes I think you just have to go with your first instinct you see you mustn't deliberate for too long it corrupts it corrupts a, a direct force of a, of, of a desire right I understand I like the Stanislavski methods you, you really it's like it's like you're 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 testing out different versions of Nigella Lawson and unfortunately quite a lot of these Nigellas eating these other things have to be killed off <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk for a minute about Coleman's English mustard? Funny you should say that. I'm going to move away from the mic, just warning people. Okay. Right. Okay. She's opening her purse. Nigella is opening yes, her purse. I... In the here. The plastic bag is coming out, and I see yes. a tube of some kind. You can see a tube of Coleman's English mustard. Oh, my God. And a pinch pot of Malden salt. Oh, my God. That You're the British Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like she has hot sauce in her bag. You have Coleman's mustard. And we should describe to people like it's it's got a specific type of heat, almost like a horseradishy back of yes, the throat. Yes, it has. Spice. It's a bit like the British wasabi. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. And and um, I also love the mouthfeel of it. It's got a little bit of a slight texture, almost like a hoisan or a gochujang sauce. That's like a little bit. It's got a flowery kind of thickness to it that well, I it, find well, it so has, pleasant. But of course, you know that traditionally it came as a powder, and you would mix it up. And uh, people would mix it up to the texture they liked. Oh, interesting. My late mother-in-law always used to make it too runny for me, and that I hated that. I remember that was a real problem. And I always, you know, makes one think that so much of what one likes or dislikes in food is about texture. And if you you have children, so you know that when they dislike eating something, it's nearly always the texture they dislike rather more than the taste. I just recently, I, I'll be honest, Nigella, I. It took me a long time to really develop a, a, a taste for some of the more sort of acidic, bitter mustardy types of flavors, spicy foods and all. I only just acquired a taste for mustard in my late 30s. But the mustard here is um, vinegary rather than hot. Right. True. But now I'm getting into all the mustards. And I was at a burger place. uh, All the mustards. Yeah, all the mustards. That's such a great title (laughs) for something. Um, Here's what happened with me with Coleman's is that, so I got into it. Mm -hmm. I bought a little little jar. I kept it at home. Now, I have two little kids, and my wife and my mother-in-law both make fantastic meatloaf. And since, yeah. especially since my kids came into the picture, there's been a lot of meatloaf in our house because yeah, it's easy, yes. it's quick, and the kids like it with ketchup. Mm-hmm. And I used to love it, but after many years of many meatloafs, I got burnt out. And I yes. made it, I declared, I said, no more. You know, mm-hmm. you got, you can keep making it for the kids, but I'm just going to, I'll fix myself something else. Coleman's reinvigorated meatloaf for me. <gasps> that is fabulous. And I mean, na- I say I feel very proud as a British person <laughs> to hear this. <laughs> what are some of your go-to, like, like what's something that's going to be served to you in a restaurant you know you're going to be going in your purse to get out that Coleman's? I feel, you know what, I'm a bit uncomfortable about doing it in restaurants. I think it's a bit rude. But I'm afraid to say, I, I, I think for me it's like ketchup, so I kind of want it with everything. I had um, a roast chicken last night with you know, um, black truffles in it. And it was only by a huge effort of will that I didn't, I mean, if I, I had my, I had the mustard actually, I didn't know it was in my purse. I thought I'd left it upstairs. And so I just thought, oh no, I haven't got my mustard. And I don't, mm, could I, should I go into a different room and get it? But no, well, never mind. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, but anyway, it would have been rude to the chef. But so I kind of want it with everything. I like adding it to a plate of greens as well. Mm. Uh, and in, you know, we, we get it in glass jars, you know, at home, and I will always keep that and make dressing with the, you know, the bottom part of it. Right. I li- I, I, it's bad. I do like it with almost everything. Why is that bad? Because I think, I mean, in a way, you're introducing too much of the same note. And we should describe... I haven't ever yet eaten it straight from the tube. <laughs> it might yet. come to that. Today could be the day. It could be. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be perfectly happy to have it on a bit of bread. Right. Um, you have a recipe for emergency brownies. I do. Which I, I is brilliant. And it <laughs> the whole recipe just makes two brownies. And you write that... Or it, four, or, if you're or four. a strange <laughs> person, which I'm not. <laughs> and you write that these this brownie recipe, emergency brownies, is for those times you urgently need a brownie, but don't want to make, or rather can't justify making, a whole batch. Yes. 
can you tell me about a time in, recently in your life where you felt that you urgently needed a brownie? Yes, I can. I was watching a film and I suddenly thought, do you know, I am enjoying myself and it's very nice to be here on the sofa watching a film. I got a cup of tea nearby. There is something missing in my life. <laughs> and I can't, I can't, it's distracting me. And what I needed was a brownie. I was watching with my son and I made the brownies. And then I had some, we had some slightly too soon, straight from, you know, straight out of the oven when it was still more or less like, it was more like pudding. Right. And you could eat with a teaspoon, but that was good. And then I left it and I had a, the remaining bit um, with a bit of vanilla ice cream. For after really the film. Good. It was perfect. My evening was complete. <laughs> what movie was it? It was a film. I'm trying to remember the title of it. It was a... I'm trying to, trying to, trying to remember. See, I can remember the food and not the film. Is this a bad thing, do you think? No, no. I, think it's, I think it gives you credibility. <laughs> I think it was some sort of... It was a film that seemed to involve too much plot. That's all I do remember. <laughs> too much plot. I got distracted by the brownie. Now I can't remember the film. I will remember, of course, by the end of the interview. Right. Just blurt it out any time. I will. I won't even say why. Yeah. Do you ever find uh, the intense desire to have an emergency brownie at a time when you're feeling like sort of stressed out about something or down about something? Um, no, I, you know, I, one of the things I don't think I do is use food um, in that that's what's traditionally associated with, you know, comfort eating. I don't, I think that food that you eat like that makes, doesn't help you feel better and doesn't make you enjoy the food more. I rather think I have an intense need for chocolate and I want that, or I feel I need salt. Sometimes I have to have salted chocolate oh. for that very reason, which I tell myself is medical. It sounds very medicinal to me. Well, it is, because I feel that I obviously need the magnesium in chocolate. <laughs> and, there's, I, and there's no other way to get and it. I, and, I slightly have, and I have slightly low blood pressure, so I need the salt. Okay. So all in all, and I feel it does me a lot of good, and I feel much better for it. So in that sense, yes, I will do it to make myself feel better. If I'm tired, I will. But I don't feel I'm trying to smother a feeling. I'm trying to heighten some pleasure. You're, you're more about chasing highs than escaping lows. <laughs> well, I think eating, it, eating itself and cooking is a very good way of escaping lows. Cooking is, a, is probably even a, a better route to, to escaping lows, but I don't know how possible it ever is that to do that. Why, why do you think cooking is good for that? Because I think it is absorbing in it your, your um, intelligence to some extent has to reside in your fingertips and your sense of smell and your sense of taste and you're you're not leading um from a thought process you're not getting stuck in your head no you're not and you're you're actually freeing you're you're calming your head by focusing on something tangible in front of you yes but it's but it's important that what you're focusing on is quite simple if i were trying to do something I can't even imagine, you know, if I were trying to spin sugar, for example, or anything that required a sugar thermometer, something really hideous like that, <laughs> uh, then I would not be escaping my head and I would be in a state of, you know, existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know your mom's family owned a food and catering business. Mm. What did she teach you about food? But I, it was before my time, really. My mother was... My mother, uh, 
what she taught me everything about food, but it was very not related to anything business-like. Okay. She was a very instinctive cook. And um, I often feel I cook very much like my mother. And by that, I don't mean I cook the same food, but in her way, which is slightly impatient, rather spontaneous, not enormously um, rule-bound. And that's quite, for me, a very handy way of cooking because it means I still come up with food fast. What else about her approach to food do you feel you've carried on? Well, I think that a, a dislike of pretentious food and she had a very good sense of taste with spice and I think, how do I say this without, it sounds a bit pretentious, layering of flavor. I know you said that your mom struggled with depression and you've also said that, uh, you said that you, you cook in similar ways that she did. How did food play into her struggles with depression? I don't think they played a, a huge part, except that she, um, in terms of cooking, but certainly uh, she didn't have a very healthy relationship with eating. Um, and I, from that, I, you know, resolved that, that that was, you know, I would absolutely uh, not uh, succumb to this, you know, very disabling belief that um, the thinner you are and the less you eat, you know, the better it is. My mother came from a different uh, a different time, and she also died very young, so the certain things weren't developed, and she didn't de- she didn't have a chance to grow and change in certain ways, which maybe she would have as well. But um, I but I think that you know while we're very influenced by our mothers we also learn how not to be as well. And, you know, I say that in a sort of a loving, respectful way, but that's been important to me. You know, feeling that uh, women have permission to eat and uh, don't have to conform to a particular way of being. Coming up, Nigella teaches me something about hosting a show. And she talks about the criticism she gets that no man would receive. Stick around. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool... Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the choice hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Recently, I went into my closet to try to get a collared shirt out, and it occurred to me that I don't think I have bought a new collared shirt in five years. I mean, (laughs) every shirt in there was either really old, or it had some kind of perma-stain situation, or it probably never fit right in the first place, I got to freshen up a little bit here. It's time for something new. 
right? And spring is coming. Now is the time if you've been looking to refresh your wardrobe, home, or skincare and beauty routines this season. Because you know, Walmart has genuinely surprising style finds that don't break the bank. This spring, there's only one destination for the latest fashion, home, and beauty inspired by real life. Walmart. I freshened up my wardrobe. I got some nice dress shirts, a couple light hoodies. You know, you need light hoodies for the springtime. Very useful, very comfortable. Discover surprisingly stylish new season favorites at Walmart now or shop it all on the Walmart app. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending. Now trending, your style at Walmart. It's been chilly here in the Northeast lately, and we have been on a big grilled cheese dipped into tomato sauce kick here in the Pashman household. And I've been making the grilled cheese with Hero sliced bread. The kids like the Hero classic white bread. I like the Hero seeded bread. It's fluffy, the crust is just right, and I like that the slices are sliced just a little bit thicker than a lot of other sliced breads. You griddle it in butter, you add some cheese, you dip it in the soup, phenomenal. And all the Hero breads are low in net carbs and they're high in fiber. All these Hero breads are delicious and flavorful. They'll give you that soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouthwatering cheeseburger. So whether you're making homemade grilled cheese, BLT, maybe a you know, tuna melt sounds nice on some Hero seeded bread. I bet that would be really good. Maybe you're doing sliders and the Hawaiian rolls. Whatever it is, Hero has the bread for you. Don't give up being a breadhead. And Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use code SPORKFUL at checkout. That's code SPORKFUL at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Now, before we get back to Nigella, I want to take a minute here to tell you about a special project that a friend and neighbor of mine is working on. Maggie, she loved camping and the outdoors. She was very adventurous and she loved some wars. And just uh, every summer we'd go up to rent cabins in the woods uh, in the Adirondacks and we'd always make campfires and enjoy some wars. And how old was Maggie when she passed away? She was 17. She got sick uh, when she was 16 and she passed away just a couple of weeks after her 17th birthday. And she asked us before she died to help save kids. This is Donna D'Souza Schmidt. Her daughter Maggie died five years ago of a rare and aggressive form of cancer. Donna and her husband Steve Schmidt started a foundation in Maggie's honor to raise money for pediatric cancer research. Now they have a new fundraiser. And we thought about things that Maggie loved. And one of our first fundraising ideas was some more kits. S'mores for More are kits for kids to raise money for pediatric cancer research. Well, I can eat the s'mores too, can't I? Oh yeah, of course, they're for everyone. <laughs> yeah, they're heart-shaped. They're, we've got um, custom chocolates in the heart, shape of a heart with smiling faces, and the cookies are graham cracker cookies in the shape of a heart. Now, one of the issues I have with s'mores in general is that graham crackers are very brittle, Donna. And you put the stuff inside and you bite down into these hard, brittle graham crackers. And what happens? The insides come out. Exactly. This is a major structural flaw with s'mores. But 
as I understand it, you have introduced innovation Mm -hmm. to s'mores that addresses this concern. Absolutely. We came up with a soft cookie that holds the contents in really nicely. And so you bite into it and your teeth will go through the soft graham cracker cookie. It's it's more like a graham cookie than a cracker. Exactly. Which is better than a graham cracker, I think. I know it is. <laughs> graham, graham crackers, I don't know, sometimes they taste a little stale. These are, these are super uh, tasty. And what do you hope will happen with these s'mores kits? We want to see them on store shelves someday. It's literally the childhood snack that gives back. This is like a huge, meaningful way um, to help us raise money in honor of Maggie. These s'mores kits are a major breakthrough in s'mores technology. They're just as delicious as they sound. And most importantly, all the proceeds go to a great cause. Now, I want to be clear, this is not an ad. Donna didn't pay us to put this in here. We just want to help spread the word. So if you want to buy your own s'mores kit and support this charity, go to s'moresformore.org. That's s'moresformore.org. Now, back to my conversation with Nigella Lawson. There are a couple reasons why I think she's so good at what she does. First, she's a great communicator on TV. When Nigella's in her kitchen showing you how to make ramen, you feel like she's talking just to you. I make my own. And I start with the Japanese broth, dashi, that launched a thousand noodle soups, but I just as often use vegetable stock. And what goes in is all important. Some dried shiitake mushrooms already sliced, and we are firmly back in the universe of umami now. The second thing Nigella is so good at is this. All the very best cooking shows on TV, and YouTube and Instagram for that matter, have one thing in common. They nail the balance between accessibility and aspiration. If you're going to get really excited about a cooking demo you're watching, it has to feel like something you might actually do. But it also has to feel like the person doing it has a life that's just a little bit better than yours. Like they have a little more time or money or expertise. Their kitchen's a little nicer than yours. They're living a life you aspire to. And I think we all make this connection in our minds. Like, if I cook this dish for one brief glorious moment, that will be my life. Accessibility and aspiration. Yeah, I know a lot of people do it, but nobody does it better than Nigella. In her recipes, she's famous for her sheet pan dinners, or tray bakes. One recipe from a few years ago is a chicken and pea tray bake. You take chicken, frozen peas, and just a few other ingredients, garlic, leeks, vermouth, mix them together, dump them on a baking sheet, and cook the whole thing. It's so simple. But her life, as it's depicted on TV, feels a little more out of reach. She waters the flowers and herbs in her perfect garden, then makes herself a perfect snack before sitting down to work in her gorgeous home. She walks her daughter to her private school in London and stops on the way for a fresh baguette as the sun shines down on them. As I said to Nigella, on TV, her life feels very aspirational. Yes, of course, it doesn't doesn't to us as we're filming it. A television series is such an intense snapshot that it looks like the whole of life is like that. And, you know, music comes in as you lay the table and there's a close-up of a glass and there's a twinkly light behind the glass and it's... It's, you know, an enchanted landscape. And I have, you know, a wonderful cameraman and director, and we're all concerned with making everything beautiful. I really take a lot of care and 
I have take a lot of pleasure in choosing what bowl I'm going to use. I mean, we can spend hours fiddling about with, you know, a pile of plates and, you know, back of back of shot, which only someone with a very, very huge uh, television screen would ever see. That's what makes the difference. But, you know, when I do a book, I mean, I the, uh, there's no, I'm obsessed about the rest detail. I might sometimes say on a proof, you know, I think I don't want uh, the print to be black. I want it to be charcoal. And, you know, the font, we change it a little bit. In, that obsessing over detail is part of the pleasure, but part of what um, makes things feel right at the end. So I, I do some work uh, hosting TV, you know, food TV type shows. Mm-hmm. Certainly I wouldn't pretend to have attained your level of success at it. But, you know, when I first started out, the way that I started to think about my sort of performance, because let's face it, it's a performance, mm-hmm. is I'm sort of creating this TV persona. And that persona is rooted in something real, so a real mm. part of myself. Mm. But in order to kind of make a persona that's going to make for good television, you have to kind of like pick and choose a couple of elements of your personality and kind of magnify those. Mm. But the camera magnifies of its own accord mm. and the editing process magnifies. So in a sense, um, I don't know that you make a choice yourself which ones to magnify. You probably went on TV, found that certain things were said to be there and they seemed to be the parts of your personality which, without realising it, came to the fore. How would you say your personality is... In which it's, what what's magnified? Well, I I probably I kind of try to focus on uh, this sort of high energy, kind of masculine jokester. Mm. That's you know you know. Uh, but you see, I think that's not just a thing of television. That's in a way sounds to me the sort of way one presents oneself when slightly nervous or anxious, and so that's you present a version of yourself. And I, in the same way as I think I, when I get it, I'm a, in a, in a strange way, I, I mean, I was always a very shy child. And there is a moment at which when you're on camera, when you have to overcome and I have to overcome an, a, an intrinsic shyness. And I think I develop a certain archness. And that's true of my personality. I have got a slightly camp personality. But nevertheless, that archness is also... Um, because maybe I'm slightly embarrassed because in the way I was brought up, going on television is a sort of like, is it like showing off and is showing off bad? So I'm slightly embarrassed and therefore I'm slightly arch. So that comes across, but it's not because I'm trying to present that, but that is the way that I might be as well if I were surrounded by people and having to propel myself through a room. So and I, so I think that the ways one magnifies one's personality or maybe even distorts um, also co- uh, common to a lot of us in social situations as well as being on television. It's a coping mechanism rather more, rather more than sheer performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. You know, I, th- I think you're probably right that, that that you know the when you're feeling less confident. Sometimes the best thing to do is to try to play the character of someone mm. who has a lot of confidence. Mm. So in my case, that sort of means like puffing up my chest and being like, hey, everyone, today we're making nachos. Mm. And for you, it yeah. might be like to raise an eyebrow and be like, mm. I'm in control here. I know what's going on. I, I, I'm playing with you, even, even if that's not how you're feeling on the inside. Yes, or when I think, yes, please share the joke with me now, please. You know, right. that sort of thing. And I also feel that 
you're you you're trying to make the viewer feel comfortable as well. You're trying to bring the viewer in. So I suppose I mean I feel that I'm I've got quite an intense uh, way of talking to people, and how that might come across in in real life probably is seen differently on television. Nigella's particular way of connecting with viewers has been criticized at times for being overly sensual, even sexual. People comment on the way she licks a spoon. They're convinced she's using innuendo every chance she gets. She's done more than one segment about breakfast or late-night snacks in a silk robe. Then there's the music. And it boils. And you can see the mushrooms are beginning to plump up, but they're going to plump up even more and lose their flavor into the broth. So turn it down, lid on, so everything stays trapped in the pan. And I've got some work to do, very hard work. Nigella says this is really just that arch or camp part of her personality coming through. Many people in, very, in good faith misconstrue what I'm saying. And they think I'm trying to do a sort of come onto the camera. And I really am not. I feel I have a huge raft of female viewers, you know, watch the show who completely get me. And so that, that's fine. What men project onto me, do you know, I can't help. I'm not, you know, I, I, I can't be held accountable for that. Some, it's, it's Wait, Nigella, I mean, that's not your fault? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, at some stage, you know, I have to say, well, you know, people's perception of me is, you know, is their perception of me? And I, I can't argue with it. I can say, you know, what my, if my intention, my intention may have been different, um, and to an analyst, that wouldn't be much of an excuse anyway. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I, I feel I can't trouble myself with it too much. But I, but I obviously must come across as more flirtatious than I intend. But there are a lot of men who go on TV and are very flirtatious or sensual in their own ways on television, and I don't feel like it gets the same amount of attention. Well, do you feel that there's a double standard? I mean, do you feel that men who are flirtatious on camera are subject to the same level of scrutiny? I mean, I think there's always a di very different way that, you know, women and men are talked about. I suspect the only way that changes is, is if men are looked at in the same way. I don't ever think things change by getting better. It just, you know, things get worse for everyone. She said cheerfully. <laughs> <laughs> and this this question, you know, that has come up at various points in your career, I'm curious, like, has the Me Too movement changed the way you think about this issue at all? Um, I it had you know look I think that there's there are many good things about the Me Too movement and not least is is the fact that um, you know women can talk about their experiences um, in the world but in terms of how I work which is in in a in a way in a realm in which I'm the boss it's a different it is a, it, I'm not working in a male environment but I think now what I would say is television is image-led, and that's not necessarily a good thing. There's a lot of focus on what someone looks like on television, and you just can't fight that. And I think that all one can do is refuse to let oneself ever be treated as a commodity.
That's Nigella Lawson. Her latest cookbook is Cook, Eat, Repeat, Ingredients, Recipes, and Stories. You want to win a copy? Sign up for our newsletter by November 15th. Do you see how many cool giveaways we're doing through this newsletter? You have got to be on the list. If you're already on it, you're already entered into this and all of our prize giveaways. If not, get on it by November 15th to win Nigella's cookbook. Go to sporkful.com slash newsletter. Next week on the show, I talk with Real Housewife of Potomac, Wendy Acefo. Growing up, food was one of her mom's ways of showing love. And yet, her mom never let Wendy help out in the kitchen. It was a dynamic Wendy didn't understand until a confrontation with her mother as an adult. That's next week. This show is originally produced by Ann, Sandy, and me and edited by Peter Clowney. It was mixed by John Delore. This update was produced by Emma Morgenstern and mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Eric Eddings and Colin Anderson. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Joe Franklin from London, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.